Brittany, good morning. You know, there are some seasons where it is extra tough to get up and preach, and I know you are not jealous of me this morning. (laughs) But I am grateful to be here with you, and friends, we are gathered in God's presence this morning. We have seen brokenness. Brokenness is not new to God, but it has been especially evident to us this week. We saw brokenness in our world this week. Protests and riots are happening all over as a grand jury handed down a decision that no one was criminally charged in the death of Breonna Taylor. We saw brokenness in our own church body this week. We sat together in a four-hour meeting last Sunday with emotions running high as we worked to sort out the call of Pastor Jordan and Pastor Stacy in this church. We've been tempted all week long to create lines of us versus them in our nation and in our own church. I want to suggest this morning, as you listen for God's voice, you open your heart to the idea that God might be asking you into the hard work of erasing these lines that divide us. You might even look across the sanctuary and see someone, and it might feel like they're against you, but keep those people in your mind and your heart as we listen for God's voice today. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Gracious God, we do know that brokenness is nothing new to you. God, your son endured brokenness to the point of death on the cross. God, you are in the midst of our brokenness, and you see our pain even this morning. We pray for the brokenness in our nation, we pray for the brokenness in our church, and we pray, Lord, that you would be present in the midst of all of that to us. God, we have seen that how you can bring new life out of brokenness, and we pray that you would do that, that you would do that in our church, in our community, and in our nation, God. We pray, Lord, that out of this brokenness, you will raise up new life. We pray that we will see you at work, and we will know your power, and we will claim you as our God and share you with all around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm thinking I'm going to switch gears a little. (laughs) It gets pretty heavy at times, but would you go with me? Can we lighten things up a little bit? Would you be willing to play a game? (laughs) All right, everybody take a deep breath. And let's play a short game. It's similar to something we would do in kids' out loud classes. In fact, we've played this game before with our elementary kids. So I'm going to show you a picture that's out of focus, and then I'll give you a clue. And you have to guess what the blurry image is. Don't say it out loud, because somebody around you might be figuring it out, as you've already figured it out. So give everybody a chance to get there. Um, And this first one is going to be super easy, so it'll get you warmed up. All right, so let's see that first image. Okay, you've got a blurry image, and you're trying to figure out what it is. And here's your clue. In 1968, a scientist was trying to make a super strong adhesive like glue when he failed. What did his failed invention lead to? The screen says, did you get it? Post-its. What is it? Post-its. All right, I told you, that one was easy, blurry, clear. Now, our second blurry image is going up, very blurry, not much there to work with. I don't know, maybe you know, maybe you figured it out, but here's your clue. An engineer in the Navy was trying to design a meter that could measure the power on battleships. He used springs, and one of the springs fell to the ground, then kept bouncing from place to place. This led to the creation of a famous toy. All right, you got it? Let's see that clear image. It's a 
Slinky, yeah. All right, and our third and final blurry image. Here we go. Red, you can definitely see red. See if you can figure out what that is. Here's your clue. During World War II, an engineer was trying to create a rubber substance out of silicone. Silicone was widely available. While the engineer was experimenting, he added boric acid to the silicone. It didn't create rubber, but instead it made a gooey mess that bounced. Any idea what this engineer actually created? Let's see. Ta-da! Silly putty. <laughs> Did you get that one? Silly putty. These pictures were not all clear to start, so it would be hard to describe to someone else what you are seeing. Now, we're working through the book Love Over Fear by Dan White Jr., and one of the main themes of chapter two is that we don't see God clearly. We don't see the image of God in people who are different from us. Our heart is to know God and to see God clearly, for God to reveal himself to us, but our eyes are often out of focus and we miss seeing God as the full picture. Now, the disciples were familiar with this longing to see God clearly. Our Bible passage today that Courtney read is part of a larger section in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is sharing his heart and his hopes with the disciples as part of a farewell message. Now, essentially, there's five chapters in John that happen all in one night that Jesus has with his disciples. He's gathered with them for the Passover feast, and Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, that story that we know, but he hasn't yet been arrested, leading to his crucifixion. So you can hear Jesus' love and his compassion flowing through his words in these five chapters as he focuses the disciples in on the fullness of who he is what he has come to do, and what God will continue to do. So Jesus says to his disciples in verses 6 and 7, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now the disciples are listening, but they want that clear picture of God. Um, they don't see it yet. Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Now, Philip and likely all the other disciples in the room want to see God clearly. Philip may be thinking of Moses. And in Exodus 33, he might be remembering this story where Moses asks God to show God's glory and God's face to Moses. But God passes by Moses, and he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he only lets Mos God only lets Moses see God from behind as he's passed through, because God says no one can see his face and live. So Philip might be thinking of this story, wanting to see God, just like Moses did. Philip may want this kind of mountaintop experience. But Jesus doesn't provide that glorious experience that Philip's hoping for. Instead, Jesus speaks a glorious revelation. Jesus says in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. In Jesus, God puts on flesh and bone so that God's creation can see and hear and touch and look face to face with God. God puts on flesh so that God can reveal himself to his people. God puts on flesh so that we, God's people, will know him. Now, even with this flesh and bone pictures of who God is, though, we still don't always see clearly, do we? 
We create God in our image. We hold on to false views about God. And these blurry pictures that we have of God play out in our relationships with other people. When we don't have a complete view of God, we interact with other people in a way that reflects a God who is smaller and less powerful than the loving creator God of the universe. So I wanted to take some time this morning and tease out how this might look in our interactions with people on a day-to-day basis. There are so many ways that our view of God can be out of focus, but I'm going to work through four examples here, though I know there are many more directions that we can go with this. But what happens if we have an out-of-focus picture of God? Our first example, if my view of God is out of focus, I might see God as transactional. My relationship with him, I might see it as a relationship of beneficial exchange, give and take. Now at some level, I might believe that I must do certain things or believe specific things to earn God's love. I might not be able to articulate that this is my view of God, but it can be revealed through questions like, do I believe that God's love stays strong for me? on a day when I miss the opportunity to read my Bible or talk to him in prayer or give to the offering? When I picture talking face-to-face with Jesus, do I really believe that he sees me as forgiven? Or do I fear that he's got a list somewhere in his pocket that will reveal who I truly am? Now, at a surface level, we all know in our heads that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love. We've been taught it our whole lives. But if you hear these questions and you feel a little twinge of guilt for the things that you're doing or not doing, I would encourage you to search your heart and try and uncover what you believe to be true at a deeper level. If my misperception of God leads toward a transactional God, how could this play out in my interactions with other people? There's lots of ways, but I'm going to point you to one way it might play out. When I present the love of Jesus to another person, I might pair it with a behavior change that I think should happen in their lives when they start to follow Jesus. Whether or not I say it out loud in my heart, I don't accept that a person belongs to the family of God until I see some kind of behavior change. It's not up to me to change the behavior of others. I've got my own issues to bring under submission in Christ. If I view God as transactional, though, my challenge is going to be extending the invitation to believe and not requiring anything else. Other people's behavior becomes a barrier to me in freely extending God's love to another person. It's not that their behavior is a barrier to God's love, but it's that I construct a barrier between God and that person and the love that God has for that person because I'm looking at their behavior. This is not the God we see revealed in Jesus Christ. Now this is just one way that our view of God may be out of focus. So let's look at another way and see how it plays out in our interactions with other people. Now if I have a blurry view of God and I see God as aloof and uncaring about his people and his kingdom, at some level I believe I have very little significance in God's kingdom. There's a part of this that we all feel. In Psalm 8, the psalmist says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Now in the psalm, the writer recognizes in the next verses that God has lifted up mortals in God's creation, that we are important to him. But if at some level I think that God sets the world in motion and then lets it go, I think that God doesn't really care about the details of my life, can be revealed through questions like, do I think I'm choosing a career path that matters to God? Or do I figure that I should just choose a career I'm passionate about because God will be happy with whatever I pick? 
Do I hesitate to talk to God about things I feel are mundane and simple and not worth troubling him about? When I picture talking face-to-face with Jesus, does he look deep into my eyes? Or is he kind of looking around the room trying to figure out who else is there? At a surface level, we all know that God is intimately involved in every detail of his creation, including every detail of our lives. But again, if you hear these questions and you're tempted to brush them off because small things don't really matter that much, I would encourage you to search your heart and look for what you think to be true about God on a deeper level. Now, what's the danger? If my misperception of God leans toward an aloof God, how is this going to play out in my interactions with other people? Well, when I present the love of Jesus to another person, I may fail to see how that person is uniquely created in the image of God and deeply loved with the whole heart of God. I may fail to convey the depths to which God is willing to go to reach each and every person with God's love. If I don't realize my own significance in the heart of God, I'm going to miss seeing the significance of each and every person in God's kingdom. Losing the value that God places on his people becomes a barrier in freely extending God's love to another person. It's not that people aren't highly valued by God. They are. We know that. But I construct a barrier between other people and God's love when I don't see them or myself as very significant in God's kingdom. If I don't value the life of another person, how are they ever going to believe that the God I worship values them? This is not the God we see in Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 2 of Love Over Fear, Dan White Jr. presents two other ways that our view of God might be out of focus. We're going to spend a little time with those and work with some of his thoughts this morning. First, he presents the idea of the Zeus-looking God. Now, who is this God? Who is this Zeus-looking God? This is a God who sits on his throne in heaven displaying tremendous power over the universe and sending down his lightning bolts of judgment when people disobey his commands. Now, in the Bible, we see that this misperception of God leads God's people to expect a powerful, conquering Messiah. This misperception of God leads the Roman guards to expect Jesus to throw himself down from the cross. And as Dan White Jr. says, an extreme example of this misperception of God is Constantine the Great, who battled with the cross of Christ as his emblem and conquered people and converted them to the gospel by use of strength might, and raw force. We all have a caricature of this Zeus-looking God. It's a joke that you move away from someone when you feel like the lightning bolts are about to hit. Ah, This is the kind of God who sends punishment down from heaven. In this caricature, though, we see that this kind of Zeus-looking God who throws down the lightning bolts, this, this blurry image leads us to construct a barrier of fear between people and the one true God. Now, if we view God this way, we need to move away from people who are about to be hit by the lightning bolts of this misperceived God. Fear is going to drive us away from them. This is not the God we see in Jesus Christ. And this misperception, the barrier in freely extending God's love to another person, is fear. And as people encounter a God whom we fear, they believe they should fear the same God, or they fear those of us who are bringing God to them. And the people we're ministering to miss the picture of who God truly is. They miss seeing that God is reaching out to them in love through Jesus. If I don't value the life of another person, skipped back, (laughs) and if I don't 
approach that person with love, why are they going to be interested in the God that I serve? Now, the second view that Dan White Jr. presents in, the, in chapter 2 is the out-of-focus, self-esteem God. Now, Brent Latham, who taught theology at North Park when I was there as a student, he edited a book called God is Not, and he looks at a lot of these misperceptions. Um, we're just working with one of them from his book today, and this God, um, one, of the, one of the essays labels this kind of self-esteem God as the nice God. Now, in many ways, this kind of God is a reaction to that Zeus-looking God who sends down the thunderbolts. And on the other hand, we've got the nice God. The self-esteem God or the nice God is very personal, but to us and to us alone. You can even hear it in the language of a personal Savior in Jesus. This type of God seeks only to meet my needs. And in a way, when we misperceive God this way, we become the center of the universe. We become a God with a little g, and the real God orbits around us. This type of God wants us to feel good about ourselves. And they, this type of God would never ask or require anything of us, especially if it required a sacrifice or a cost. This type of God does what people want him to do so that people are made happy. Now in the essay, God is Not Nice, by D. Stephen Long, he says that when we misconstrue God as this type of self-esteem God, God has been reduced to a friendly character with open arms, who meets us at the entrance to his magic kingdom, inviting us to come in and find our individual fulfillment. When we present this self-esteem God to the world, we lose the focus on God's redeeming work in all of creation and in God's community. For the self-esteem God, there is no similar point to human existence. We're all on different trajectories toward fulfillment in life and feeling good about ourselves. When we share this misperception of the self-esteem God with the world, we miss the beauty of God's people dwelling with God and with each other in community. So the barrier in freely extending God's love to another person is our own isolation. Yes, community is messy. We've seen that here. Community can be painful. Community can bring heartbreak. But community brings us a bigger and more beautiful picture of God's kingdom than our own limited view can hold. Community makes us look beyond ourselves and opens our eyes to the gifts and struggles and the experiences of our neighbor. Now, there are many ways that we can miss seeing this full picture of God. I've just given you four examples and tried to work out what that might do in our own witness of sharing God's love. But these misperceptions and the blurry images of who God is can play out in so many different ways. We're all on a journey in this walk with Christ. We're all discovering new truths about God each and every day. You're never going to get to a point in life when you've arrived as a Christian and you understand it, not until this life is over, huh? As you move forward in your own journey, be aware of what misperceptions you might be carrying about God. Be aware so that you don't reflect those false narratives to others and put up barriers to them freely accepting God's love. Now, as troubling as all these misperceptions about God are, we can understand why they exist. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. We aren't face to face with God in the new creation. We've seen him put on flesh in Jesus, but we're not at the end yet. We don't have this clear picture of God, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So who is God, and how can we try to see him clearly? 
We've heard Jesus say to Philip, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. We have seen the Father because we have seen Jesus. The Father and the Son abide together in such complete relationship that Jesus can't help but reveal God to us. Jesus' desire for us is that we abide with the Son and the Father as deeply as the Son abides with the Father. So who is God? In chapter 2 of Love Over Fear, Dan White says it this way, The glorious truth of God's character is fully articulated in Jesus, who is the true and living word of God. Jesus is the ultimate and complete self-manifestation of God, from John 1.14. This changes everything about how we imagine God. So who is God? We see God in our good news statement for this whole series, and that while we were enemies, while we were God's enemies, God loved us and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So God not only fully reveals himself in Jesus, but God brings us into relationship with him through Jesus. Why does God do this? Who is God? When Paul says that we see in a mirror dimly, Paul is talking about this in the context of one of the most famous love passages in the Bible. Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians 13, where love is patient, love is kind, love never fails. We see it dimly right now, but God's very core and essence and foundation is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 spells this out for us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. When our picture of God is more in focus, and when we abide with God and see God revealed in Jesus, when we see love as the purest form of God, there is no room for fear. In this chapter, the author paints a picture of how fear and love are complete opposites. Fear drives us to an out-of-picture focus of God. Fear makes us lose sight of how another person can carry the image of God. Fear makes, us, fear makes it easy for us to put people in categories when they're different. Fear leads us to see our relationships as us versus them. Dan White Jr. says it this way, love ultimately pulls us outward toward others, toward the stranger, the widow, the foreigner, the poor, and most shockingly, toward our enemies. Do you have a hard time seeing the image of God clearly in other people? So on page 63 and 64 of the book, Dan White Jr. asks some questions that I'm going to ask you right now. These are his questions, not mine. But he asks, can you see the image of God in abortion doctors? Can you see the image of God in the LGBTQ community? Can you see the image of God in your ultra-conservative grandpa? Can you see the image of God in your political enemies? Jesus shows us who God is, and Jesus also shows us how to look at people. We tend to move toward this place of fear, and we see the fences between us. 
This is another picture from the book where we see the us versus the them. We don't see the image of God in the people who are on the other side of the fence. This picture, it's on page 63. It's Dan White's picture. But before we end today, I'd like to suggest two practices to help us move away from putting up these fences, to help us move away from looking at people with fear and move toward looking at people with a clearer picture of God's love. If we really are going to move toward people in God's love and not let this fear divide us apart, first of all, you have to know the God of love revealed in Jesus Christ. You have to spend time with this God. If you don't know this God, we would be happy to talk with you and pray with you today. I'm happy to talk with you after the service. I know Pastor Kurt, Pastor Jordan, Pastor Stacy, when he comes back, we're all happy to talk with you about who this God is and how um, this God can be a part of your story. But if you're looking to know this God on a deeper level, we've got a great resource on our webpage leading you into ways of connecting deeper with God in Scripture. I've linked the Soul Training page in the Bible app. On that page, you'll find all sorts of resources for spending deeper time with God in his word and getting to know that God revealed in Jesus, that God of love. You can use one of these online resources to um, increase the time that you spend in God's word this week. It's where you've got to start. You've got to see a clear picture of this God we serve and love. Second, to know each and every person as an image bearer of God, you have to spend time with people who are different from you. This week, I challenge you to engage in conversation with someone who you're tempted to put on the other side of the fence. Now, don't start by talking about all the differences you see. You're not going to get anywhere. You're just building a stronger fence. Start by asking simple questions and getting to know a little more about who they are as a person. Keep your eyes open and approach other people with love, looking for the image of God and how it's visible in each and every person. That's your challenge for this week. Will you pray with me and we're going to ask God to help us.